We're back for another episode of the Truth and Legend podcast. It's uh, episode 10, I believe. And uh, Brandon came up with this fine idea of talking about workflow. And I think it's a great idea because everybody has a different workflow. And I think we all do things very similarly. But then I think we all have these little things that make it different that hopefully it'll be interesting enough for you all to pick up a bunch of information and then just learn a a way to do it. And nobody has the right or wrong way to do it. There's no perfect way to do it. It's just find what works for you and go for it. So welcome guys. I can't believe we're at 10. <laughs> yeah. You Double say digits, that every, <laughs> every episode you're like, I can't believe we made it to three. I can't believe we made it to six. So well, no, we're honest. having fun doing it. Oh yeah. Well, and it's like, I, I guess I was surprised that we have enough to talk cohesively for 10 episodes is where I'm at. <laughs> there you go. I can get on board with that. Right. <laughs> but see, the, the thing is, is Brandon and I are in Denver, right? So we're talking probably more than we talk with Eric, who's in Alaska, because, yeah. you know, hours are different and he's doing stuff. And I mean, Brandon and I can get on the phone and talk for two hours about absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I can see why we have, a, I think the coherent, part of that statement was right. what is important right it's the important part right <laughs> like you can actually follow it it's an episode well some of it i mean we've got into like sasquatch oh i did get we had a request for a sasquatch so i ordered a sasquatch but it <laughs> turned out to be a monkey it looks like <laughs> with a hat on <laughs> right that's more monkey than so. i mean it has the big feet yeah but yeah, I don't That's know. Funny. So we're still working on our uh, Sasquatch mascot. Today I'm wearing the Wild and Exposed podcast, which, like we've said, is not totally gone. Who knows where it's going to go? Uh, we found out this week that the other guys that I was working with on the Wild and Exposed have started their own podcast, which is great. Um, they're way more stills-driven, which is awesome. I think we're way more video-driven over here. So we'll see how this whole thing progresses. But um, if you all want, I don't think they've put out an episode yet. Um, I haven't talked to them recently, so we'll have to see. But when they do, we'll make sure and push it out there so that yeah, cool. everybody knows what's going on with their side of things. And it's the same cast of characters, only they brought Mark back, which is great because yep. they'll all just be chatterboxes for sure. So yep. it should be good. I'm excited to hear the first episode. Yep. Um, beyond that, is there anything we want to talk about before we all get into this whole workflow thing? Actually, I guess I left a little early to go to an Audubon meeting last night and hear a talk from one of my buddies about the North Slope and birding up there. Mm-hmm. Anything interesting? Yeah, it was, um, he's done a lot of field work up there in Utkiadvik, the Barrow area, and then also in the NPR, um, National mm-hmm. Petroleum Reserve and just all the things that he's seen and tons of nice photographs of all the species and birds and just kind of went through like the seasonality of like what's there in the winter, which is almost next to nothing except ptarmigan. And, <laughs> but the one, I think one of the most interesting things was he said there is, you know, on the North side of the brook. So you're on essentially what would be the North slope. So up in the Arctic there, he said there is some small stretches of streams up in the mountains that have warm enough water that even though it's negative 40, there have been dippers observed up in the Brooks Range in the middle of wintertime. So I thought that was kind of crazy. That's crazy. To imagine, yeah, this like 14-foot stream that's before it freezes up 
and they're in there making a living. But you got to capitalize. That is amazing. I was when I was yeah. editing this Dipper thing. I'm like, I wonder how many people actually even have really spent a lot of time with Dippers, and then of those people, how many people actually have the opportunity? It's so like you look at the footage. I'm like, there's no way I would have got that anywhere else that I know about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tough. <clears throat> to get them that cooperative. I think that was probably the most interesting thing that you talked about. Um, That's cool. I think what else? Oh, the other thing was, because um, someone asked, because we were talking, you know, obviously, if you know enough about birds, you got blue throats from like the Asian countries and weed ears from Africa and, you know, birds from South America and the U.S. They're all breeding right next to each other. So someone proposed the question of why do all these birds fly all the way up here? And obviously... One of the big answers that I was aware of is food. You know, it's daylight all the time, tons of mosquitoes, tons of food, everything's um, productive. So that's why they're here. But I don't, I was trying to Google this last night a little bit after the thing to see if I could see where there had been any research into it. And in the um, ice age, the northern part of Alaska wasn't glaciated. So it was actually exposed ground and that's kind of like where you know humans may have crossed over the Bering land bridge so they think maybe like a lot of those birds established their breeding grounds because that was ice free and they've just continued to use that area too so I thought that was really different or a unique thought but yeah, that's interesting. I haven't been able to find anything I just I got home last night and tried to google search it real quick to see if I could pull up anything but there wasn't anything so it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. Yeah, it says during the um, Pleistocene glaciation that most of interior Alaska, and even south of the Brooks Range and north of the Alaska Range, was non-glaciated glassland refuge habitat for a number of plant and animal species. So it certainly makes sense. I guess, I don't know if there's a way to know for sure, but it's kind of an interesting second theory on why they're all up here. They just haven't changed their home. <laughs> They're kind of like my family. They haven't left Ohio. <laughs> they stick close to where they were <laughs> from. <laughs> That's like everybody's family. Um, <laughs> so the predominant theory is food, but the other I theory think that's what is keeps them going. Lack yeah. of glaciation. But it would have to have been the lack of glaciers in the very beginning for them to even find it, right? Because yeah, they wouldn't know exactly. the food's there. Yeah. And then they've just held to it while it's maintained its productivity. They talked about like snow geese used to be, you know, you'd see like 10 or 100. And now there's actually some areas of snow geese um, mating that are like the numbers are actually getting pretty massive. But so far, they don't think they're going to like they haven't disrupted breeding of other species up there. So that was kind of interesting. I didn't realize that they were originally pretty limited up there and now they seem to be doing pretty well. And just all the migrations are incredible of like, you know, birds like Ross's galls, people come up in October to um, Utgavik to try and view. They're this, you know, Northern, like kind of attached to the ice, sea ice, and they do a, eastward migration from Russia into the, I think the Beaufort Sea. And then in the fall, they make their way back out uh, to the Pacific. So a lot of birders go up in the fall to try and catch them on that uh, westward migration. So yeah, just so many interesting characters and animal stories up there that 
I just wanted to hear and learn as much as I could about it. It's an area that I'd like to explore more, especially after Mike spent all that time up there and, you know, I've seen what Garrett produced while he was up there and it just, it's kind of got my attention. So while I'm trying to brainstorm for what to do this summer, it keeps pulling at me. So <laughs> just trying to see what, what's out there, what stories and uh, just hear some cool things to get excited and motivated about something new. So would you throw in and do that? Would you be like, okay, I'm going to go do a three week thing on, on <laughs> a river somewhere. I would. I mean, I probably would. I'd prefer it to be other than maybe just on my own, especially if it's, you know, trying to charter a flight. It's a couple thousand dollars a lot of times to get out to those places. But yeah, certainly I would love to film, you know, the shorebirds and you see these little baby plovers. It's just like a cotton puff with these huge legs and just uh, they're so cool to see uh, just, yeah, that whole landscape would be awesome so i don't know we'll see worst case you can always get up there off you know somewhat off the road system but you know i was filming the black belly plovers and uh mm -hmm. you know you're saying a cotton ball with legs <laughs> what they reminded me of was um and maybe we've talked about this i don't remember but you know in star wars they had the things that the oh, big yeah. robots that had two <laughs> legs that walked the walkers yeah. and then if they got a little bit out of balance they just were like and crash on it. <laughs> these little bird these little little things would do that they'd get out of the nest for a minute and they'd just be walking around and it'd just be like and then they'd pop right back up and, but it was only for a couple hours and then after a couple hours they had their legs underneath them and no more falling they were just zipping around wherever they wanted to I go. I think he said that they had tracked them going like one or two kilometers within like the first week or a few days of being hatched. So it's pretty incredible how hardy That's they crazy. are. And they'll weigh, the other one thing is like they'll, they'll weigh the birds and they'll have so much fat from the egg that they'll weigh more when they're born than, you know, like they continue to survive off that fat reserve. So just a ton of interesting facts that, um, yeah, really educated guy. Andy Bankert, he's an awesome birder here in town. I have a goal this year, and my goal is to video all four types of sheep. So I got the bighorns down here in Colorado. I'm going to get desert bighorns in April. Well, I hope I am. I say I am, so hope I'm That's not jinxing myself. <laughs> and then doll sheep and stone sheep will be the other two. So we'll see. The stone sheep, I think, are going to be the hardest. Hmm. Just cause, and it's only hard because it's where it's at. Right, you don't. It's not hard if you if you went there and spent three days at the right time of year. Right, guaranteed. Yeah. Hmm. Every so we'll time see. I drive through that area, I see them. Although this year coming back, I didn't see them, but it was foggy, hmm. and I didn't want to stick around and wait for the fog to lift. But I'm sure they were there. It just I couldn't see the I couldn't see ten feet in front of the van. Hmm. We'll but, see. If I so I think you it. could get it. Yeah. It's just, but that area is so cool. Right where they're at is you could spend two weeks there sheep are usually just hard they're not hard it just requires a little more work than other things a lot of climbing most of the time yeah i was gonna say their <laughs> their environment <Yeah>. is <laughs> right vertical <laughs> right right so it should be cool we'll see if i can get yeah. it that's my yeah. goal though that's, that's cool. a good goal you guys have a nice full moon out there i was trying to shoot a moonrise over anchorage the other night but i didn't have any luck it's been really uh, beautiful here but right as I set up to shoot this huge black 
fog just rolled across town and completely blocked out the whole range and the moon and everything. So that was my one attempt. Like, all right, I got to get out and shoot something so I can at least have a file to deal with and uh, didn't work out so well. I have not. That's how it is. Let's see. I didn't even see the moon. I'm in like a vicious cycle right now of dad try to get work. Yeah. Like just a, and we're not sleeping very well because the kid. And so we're in like this nasty cycle of I get up at 545. I try and bang out some content because that's when I upload our shorts and I work on that shorts in the morning. Then I, he wakes up at 630. So I get him fed and off to school. I get back to the house around 745 because I go to school so early now. And then I start answering emails or whatever I have for client work. Talking to me. Talking to Michael. Like it's just putting out fires most of the time, right? I say putting out fires, but like just administrative stuff. We're putting out a, like we're working on titles or we're working on thumbnails or we're working on a store or something like that. And the next thing I know, it's like one o'clock. I'm like, oh, well, I better eat. So then I eat, let the dogs out, and then it's back to work. But then they get out of school at two thirty, and so then he's back here. So then it's like, what homework do you have? Yeah, dinner. Next thing you know, I'm like, well, it's six thirty, and so I'll stay up late and get some other stuff done. So yeah, I'm like in this nasty cycle. And then I had a last minute, a few last minute gigs come in, where it's just been like, hey, can you do this tomorrow? at 6 30 mm. at night <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so it's it's so, been a, a bit of a, a blur yeah. yeah so where i'm uh good at traveling i'm not so good at remembering to get outside when i'm here at the house so <laughs> yeah i hear you uh you're busy it was a cool moon though i saw a lot of was shots it? on on tv news where they were at the helicopter would be out flying for traffic and then they would shoot this full moon over the rockies which is pretty That's epic cool. if you get in the right spot yeah. it is pretty cool Especially if you use some of that compression, do like a really long lens and yeah. focus on yeah. something there in the foreground. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah, I did that yeah. during the summer. And uh, the problem was all the heat shimmer from mm. it was warm. And so it, it's really yeah. distorted. But winter would be probably a pretty good time for it. Although we get a lot of nasty pollution here on the mountains. Mm, yeah, and you get the heat shimmer too if there's too much snow reflecting that. Right. So, and Brendan and I tried, what was he? The day before yesterday, we Wednesday. had yeah. big visions of going out. And uh, Brandon has a new little camera he's playing with. And we were going to do some manual focus training mm -hmm. or practice or practice, whatever you want to call yeah. it. And uh, we, got to we got to the office and we we're just talking and doing and talking and doing. And we're like, we got too much work to do. We got to go. <laughs> Brandon actually just showed up here. We talked for two hours and then he left and drove home because we got all these videos we're trying to get put out. So. Yeah. Well, actually, so on that, so we just dropped the GoPro video. So that's three ways to use a GoPro for wildlife production. We went through and read, we watched it, I don't know, seven times now from beginning to end to try and fill in all the gaps for y'all. So go out there, watch that video and let us know what you think of it. If you like the production value, we tried to up it as much as we can. We put as much content in there as we possibly could. We have a lot more that just, you didn't want it to be a three hour video, but go out and watch that. Give us some feedback on that. That just dropped today, the 26th, but that was, I mean, that's been the focus here that 
So that was an eight month project between you and me, Michael. And it has hung over my head for like months. Like, how are we going to do this? And like the file just keeps getting bigger. We're at two terabytes of footage just in the working file. It's 2,100 clips right now. Oh, wow. And it just kept like, it was just bigger. And it was like this brain cloud, right? And so like anytime I'd go out and I'd be like, oh, let's go photograph the moon or something, right? And I'd be like, oh, I should work on the GoPro video. It was just this like cloud that followed me around everywhere. So I am feeling... <laughs> pretty good minus the my yeah. morning that i had but i'm feeling <laughs> rejuvenated and it's out from over me it's good the challenge was finding footage too because you knew it was all there but you wanted to find that one shot where it's like oh well, we had this really cool dipper footage underneath the water and i know it's there but finding it which kind of takes us right into today's process of totally. workflow so I think, Brandon, you should start. And and I don't even know the best way to do this. I think what we need to do is try to keep us succinct because this, knowing you and I, it could be like 17 hours worth of, well, you get this cable and you plug <laughs> it in depends. here. And, Lucky for you guys, it, I have a depends. gig, so I have to be out of here. I have a hard stop today. So you're lucky. We only have two hours for this. Okay, you want yeah. me to start? Yeah, and I don't, like I said, I don't know the best way. So I think we'll just kind of key off of what you're doing. And maybe both Eric and I can do something similar depending so, on your, it just depends on the amount of your brilliance. So super succinct. Okay, so I film, I put it on hard drive, I get it in editing software, and it goes on YouTube. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll Magic. see you next week. <laughs> no. All right. So on my FX6, it only films on one card. On my mirrorless cameras, I have those set up to film to two cards. And it it's just redundancy, right, on the mirrorless cameras. I've done that since the still side back in the old DSLR days. So I'm just going to talk about it on the primary card. If I have the backup cards, I would also back those up. But let's just stick to primary cards for today just to make it easier on ourselves. So I, this is post footage. So I've gone out to the field. I've got my subject. I have my Sasquatch filmed. I want to get it onto the camera. I want to make sure it's backed up or off the camera. I want it backed up and then on YouTube, right? That's my end goal. So for me, I'll come home. Usually we film in bad temperature. So I'll wait a day to either let the camera warm up or cool down in its box or its backpack, wherever it is. The next day I'll open that memory card up. I'll drop it onto my computer or I'll pop it into the computer and I will start a file program. And the way I start it is the year that it was filmed. So 2024 in this case, I would start with the month that it was filmed. So it'd be 2024.01.26 for today, right? It's January 26th. What that does is it gives me a nice way to, uh, if I want to sort it, it will sort by year automatically because that's the primary number and then it will sort by month and then days next. Then I will give it some modifiers. So let's say we have our Sasquatch film, right? So I would do 2024.01.26, Sasquatch in the woods, and then a location, Denver, Colorado, wherever it is, uh, Lost Park, National Wilderness or something like that, right? However you want to modify that. And then I would also add some tags within, I use a Mac, so I use tags and keywording in there. That makes it findable in the future, and that just helps me find footage later on. That's something that I've implemented here in the past year, just because That's it's been idea. 
so hard to find things sometimes but that way i can find like what elk footage do i have or what bear footage whatever it is right so within that folder structure then i will go in and i will pull a template that i have and that template is numbered zero one and it goes all the way through zero eight so one two three four five six seven eight and starting at the top i'll have my video footage i'll have my audio footage as number two graphics as number three music as number four photos as number five documents as number six resolve is seven and number eight is my exports folder so each one of those are folders i'll then take my raw footage and i'll drop it or actually i won't drop it in there so i'll go into the video footage and i will designate the camera by a folder within my video footage folder so it'd be fx3 fx6 red helium whatever it is and i'll drop that folder into that video then i'll drop the raw footage into that camera folder within that so it'd be from a folder structure you'd have the date and name that we talked about first video camera footage that gives me an easy way to drop out cameras and that is mainly for us because if we have if we are all out in the field and i want to back up everyone's stuff there's going to be two fx6 right so we'd have to label like brandon or eric fx6 and that way we can all have different cameras and that way we have it we have all the footage and we know who filmed what everyone kind of knows their footage a little better now it's just not out there as some name on the the computer now i'll go back and pull off any images that will go into the photos folder and then that gives me my folder structure i'll eject that drive and put the sd card away or whatever cf express card whatever i'll put that away that gives me a folder structure that i can then copy to a backup uh, ssd we use a network attack storage device so we use that within the network i'll back it up that's my primary drive here at the house if i'm doing client work that's where that goes but i always back up to an ssd first just because they're fast i know i have it they're pretty reliable Although I did have some issues with the SanDisk Extreme Pros because those had that recall that happened. And I did end up losing some footage over a day because I, for whatever reason, they just corrupted and I couldn't get it back. Mm -hmm. So um, go out to SanDisk and check and see if you have one of those SSDs. Mine was the four terabyte that was corrupted, but Michael had a, a Extreme Pro drive and it was fine and it wasn't on the recall, right? Yeah, but I think I bought it really early on. So maybe yeah. it was a batch in the middle or something. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. So we have a, a single SSD with that footage and file structure on there at this point in time. So from there, I will actually copy it over to a second SSD. And that gives me a secondary backup that I can know stick at the house or put in another bag. So I'm always carrying two SSDs around with me. So in this case, I'm using two Crucials right now. They're just fast. Um, they got a good upload speed. They're USB-C. They're small. They're four terabytes. So I can almost get everything from a trip onto these things. And I never have any problems with that. When it comes to, if I'm in the field, I'll just keep those SSDs with me on the carry-on luggage. Um, I have put one in my checked luggage just to kind of separate them at times. But here recently, I've just been traveling with both of them on me. So... Once I get back to the office, I'll drop it onto the network attack storage device, which is how I edit. I'll then take my resolve project and I will drop it into my resolve folder 
in my file drive, right? So on my network attached storage device, I have that third copy. In Resolve, I have a project folder. That's where it drops. Hold on a sec. Before you go any further, you keep saying Resolve, and I don't know that everybody knows yeah. what Resolve is. So just kind of okay. explain that real quick. Yeah, so we use DaVinci Resolve for editing. That's It's just an editing software. So this could be Final Cut Pro. It could be iMovie. It could be Premiere. Premiere. It could be uh, Catalyst from Sony. It could. I'm sure Canon has one. But it's just any editing software. And that way, you know where your project file is at all times. So if for some reason Premiere crashes or Resolve crashes, you know where that folder is that has those project folders that has that project structure. Um, I'll also drop any of my, like if there's screenshots from the video, that's where it'll initially put those and then I'll pull them out into the photos or the image folder, set it up the way you want. But that's how I set up that. So resolve is just for, uh, or my folder for the image, the editing software which is Resolve in my case, is just for the editing software. Nothing else goes out there for the most part. So I'll start that out. And I will start pulling in assets, right? So we all have our music that goes in there. That goes into the music folder. If you have audio from a Zoom recorder, like Eric mentioned earlier, that goes into your audio folder. And that way you have a separation of audio and music. Because I found when I'm working through my folder structure or with when I'm editing, I don't like to have all my music mashed up into all my audio files for the simple fact that all you see is waveforms. And so it's hard to identify it from first glance unless you've done a really diligent job of naming. And I do not name, I do not rename audio folders when they come back in from the drives. So I just drag and drop usually. And that way I know audio is usually talking heads, uh, some sort of recorder, it's something that was manually recorded. It is not like a stock foot or stock music piece, right? And so that's where that separation is of audio and music. Within, so I'll go through my edit. If there's any other graphics that need to pop up, like on this GoPro video, I would pop up a screenshot of GoPro Labs, which is where the software that you download the GoPro is. That would go into the graphics folder. If there's some overlay that has to, that would go to the graphics folder. So that gives me a primary drive that is has all these assets. Now, the problem is you have three drives now, and you, two of those drives are not updated with everything that you've done once you finish this project, right? And Michael actually gave me this wildly useful thing called Disk Catalog, and it will make sure that everything within a folder structure is synced and the same because what I was having an issue of is when you drag and drop those folders back over to say like copy all this back over it's like yeah it's all there don't worry we got everything and then I'd go into look in that folder structure on that SSD as my secondary backup and it wouldn't be there there'd be a file missing or a second or maybe a few files in some cases and this catalog goes through each <clears throat> checks each file against it and that's how I make sure that those drives it doesn't back up Okay. You, you're. I think you're mixing up the two programs. So there's disk catalog, which I basically uh, takes an inventory of your drive. Oh yeah, I'm thinking. But then the one you're talking about is called ChronoSync. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, let me back up. Don't. I, I think we'll just include it like this, and we'll okay. just uh, reference it back okay. to yeah, ChronoSync. So, so ChronoSync will sync it between all of those folder structures, not um, 
what I was saying earlier. So chronosync then syncs all those folders across and it keeps everything updated. And that's kind of where I go to then upload it to the, the YouTube server from my NAS. That way I know it's all there. And the export goes into export file. Most of the time I have three or four versions and that way I know it's always out there. If you're clever enough, you remember to put final out there. More often than not, mine's like V4 as my final and I it's always a version. So I'm bad about that. And what I'm struggling with now is I'm like, was V4 the final with some of this other work? <laughs> I'm like, I think it was, but yeah. that's where I kind of, that's for the quick and dirty. I'm sure I miss stuff. No, I think that's good. And it's pretty comprehensive. And I think I can add to that. And that's what you need to do as a listener is probably pull from a little bit of everything that we're talking about and yep. um, hit us up on the comments or whatever, because we will try to explain anything that was glossed over or point you in the right direction or provide a link to software or whatever. So right. I think that was pretty comprehensive for, for your process. And it's interesting to hear because I think my process is a little bit different. Mm -hmm but very similar in a lot of ways too. So um, how about you, Eric? What's uh, what's your process from, yeah. from being in um, the field to home? Pretty similar. I think I followed a really similar version of what Brandon said like a year or so ago when I started doing um, video just to really like try to figure out a structure. When I used to, when I was shooting stills, everything I shot um, after probably like six years, I just ended up going all by date. So it was just a year and then a subfolder by month and then a subfolder by day. And I just always had a calendar that I could reference if I really needed to find something. And of course he had like keywords and Lightroom and stuff. But um, one thing, I guess I don't, I, I don't have clients. I'm not going out and shooting and producing deliverables. So I don't have a ton of the assets and music and that, you know, associated with it. Mm -hmm. um, I've have had, you know, obviously to create that, um, I used to create all those folders and then I would never put anything in for all the right. stuff I was doing. Right. So I just kind of got away from doing it. But then say like the Eagle video, I needed all those assets. So I did end up having to go back and create those folders. The one thing that I've done maybe a little different is that, you know, same thing year, month, day. And then I just do like underscore with like a shoot name. And I can usually remember at least where I'm at now without, with how many, I have in the case of a year, it's not that hard for me to remember where they are because it's not mixed up with a bunch of client work. Mm -hmm. um, but I do go under the camera itself. I, I have folders by day as well. And then um, I guess the only thing maybe in addition to it would be, well, I don't want to jump too far ahead. Um, yeah, I guess data storage is the same dropping on an ssd right. and then you know a copy of that on a external drive at home i don't think there's anything too unique there but i i liked utilizing having all my folders by day and then when i at the end of the day if i have enough energy i i like to drop at least this is what i found it's probably going to change the next time i do a big thing i drop everything from that day into one bin in DaVinci. So DaVinci, you can, you know, you have to pull the files that you want into the project you're working on. Um, but you can organize those in imagine folders or they're called bins. 
So I'll drop all the footage from that day and even some of the sound and stuff into a bin. And then I go through that entire thing and create a timeline that's just named basically that day. And then like my daily or like underscore dailies or whatever selects you want to call it. And I'll go through and just pull all the best moments from that footage. Things that I know that I'm going to want to see again or like a little bit of the audio. And then anything that was really crappy or I accidentally hit record, I'll just delete them out of the bin so that it's not cluttering if I need to go back and search. But at least the original file still exists mm -hmm. on the hard drive. And then um, kind of utilizing like a time, like I just have a, a bin of timelines. It's all of my dailies from every day so that I guess if we're going to jump ahead to like where we're going to actually go start to produce a video, then I at least once I'm back home and I've had some time to digest it all, I'll just go through and watch, you know, all my dailies, selects, timelines, and kind of start to get a feel for what, you know, might start to bring together a story or, you know, different days match. I, I think that's going to be kind of the best for me because I, when I do have to go back and look, when I was f trying to remember what happened on certain days or find footage, it was really helpful for me to kind of have those like selects or whatever. Obviously, it, mm -hmm. you go through and you're troubleshooting all the mistakes you made throughout the day. But in terms of productivity, it's worked well for me. Even if I didn't pull the select of that exact clip, I remember or recognize that landscape was in that same moment that something mm -hmm. happened. So I can look at that file name and then go to the bin of that day and usually find that file I need pretty quick. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of the, the gist of where I get into the actual production and organization. But again, it's constantly a work in progress. I, I realized that having all those every day, like broken down with selects is pretty critical for at least me and how I can remember the whole thing and try and build the story together um, is creating those dailies and bins in DaVinci to keep all the files organized. So then do you take the, so when you have those selects that you didn't create like a third timeline or let's say there's just two days, right? For ease of example, do you then create a third timeline that has where you start to build it all or do you just build it off you just have them broken up in one timeline no i um i have like a whole timeline for each day but i create a new timeline that i'm actually working okay. off of yeah okay so, so there i will like just drop everything into one timeline mm -hmm. and just start start chunking through there yeah it's i don't know it's not the best way, <laughs> but it's my way. <laughs> I think that's how I kind of started with whenever I was doing it. And it seemed, I don't, I just, it was hard. I kept moving stuff and I just kept breaking and moving things around and shifting. And it just, I couldn't remember where something was, you know, and it might be a tiny sliver and you're zooming in and out. And I think it just kind of got to be a little too much. So I, I tried that kind of into, into the last, that Eagle video and, I think it's working at least for my brain, but I haven't shot anything or multiple days of stuff. So like at the cabin, I created that same structure, but I don't know that there's much of a story there, but <laughs> okay. Do that's, you edit? That's kind of what I do. All of the cameras at the same time. I put them way? all, all in. Yeah. So I do, if you're oh, saying like, okay. when I go to that date 
everything that I shot on that day is in that bin. And then I would go through that bin and pull all the best stuff. So yeah, there could be okay. iPhone shot. Yep. There could be, uh, you know, it's just audio of a bird call, but I'll put it in there just because these are going to be my favorites that I'm pretty sure that I could use, mm -hmm. you know, and I yep. just want to make sure I can find those quick. And then okay. I can just kind of tab through all the clips until I find, oops, find what I'm looking for. Okay. So, and then well, I can jump well, back and forth between yeah. the timelines if I need to copy okay. or move something from one to the other. So mine will usually just be like, I'll call it cam a, which will be just the talking head. So like mm -hmm. if this was all recorded, this would be the primary and then that's all I'll edit. And that way, the talking head influences everything and then i'll go back in and cover yeah. it with b-roll i gotcha so yeah. but if you're making that wouldn't work for like a a reel just because if you're making a reel like you don't have a talking head yeah yeah so yep. most of the time most of the time yeah <laughs> so man see there's just so much it can get so involved and it's just uh i think it's good for all of us just to throw out whatever and then there's little bits and pieces that everybody can pull from but my process is very similar i just recently took on brandon's file structure i am just a yard sale when it comes to this over the years it, there is no rhyme or reason and it's just a good thing i got a pretty good memory as to oh yeah i remember i shot some really cool bears two years ago and i can go find it but i separate all my footage by species and i don't do date at all because i have so much of like i don't want to spread out i want to know that if i want bear footage i'm going to go to the folder that says brown bears and everything i've shot with brown bears from day one till now is all right there and i don't have to start searching through different folders but that's skipping way ahead so my process is, is I come back with the card, I download everything to an SSD. And that's just to get it off of the card and onto an SSD. And it doesn't come off the card, it just copies to the card. So then I have two copies right away, right? Mm -hmm. Once it's on the SSD, and I might tell you the process that I use when I go shoot for a production company or the BBC or someone like that, because <clears throat> they have a very strict way in which we do this. And it has to be done that way or they don't accept the footage and then you don't get paid. So it's very, very critical that you follow their structure. And then they use some software that we haven't mentioned yet that I think I could throw out there. And it's probably way more involved than anybody listening to this podcast would want to use, but at least if you know about it, then um, the potential is there. And it is the safest way to do it. So if, you're, if you've got some footage that is like so critical to it's like that viral clip that you just always want to make sure you've got it in multiple places. This probably would be the software to use. So anyway, I've got it on an SSD. So now the process is getting it to another two different working drives. So you got your main drive and a backup drive. And what do they say that your footage doesn't exist until you have it in three places. So at that point I do have it in three places. So I'll go from, the card, which I've got it on until I format that card the next day. Right. I've got it on an SSD and then usually overnight because shooting with reds is just an astronomical amount of footage. It'll go overnight from an SSD to the two, the main drive and the backup drive. 
and generally those are going to be slower drives. They're not going to be SSD drives. So that's why you have to go overnight. It's just a very slow process. To do that, I use a program called ShotPut Pro. And there's a couple more programs besides ShotPut, and it'll depend on the production company as to which ones, which software you use, but they will say, use this. ShotPut, I think, is a subscription-based software, so they'll either provide that for you or pay your fee to so that you have that software on your computer. And what that software does is it does a checksum, and it's basically you you have two columns, you say, drag everything from this folder or this drive into this column. And then I want it also identically uh, copied into this other column, which represents the other drive. And then before it's all done, it does a checksum to make sure that both of those drives are identical. And it's all internal to the computer. So you're not having to do anything. Brandon, you mentioned Chronosync. Mm -hmm. Essentially, Chronosync is the same thing. But let's say you had a hiccup in the copy. Let's say your computer battery died or something. And you're like, I think I got it all. With this, if you if your checksum at the end doesn't jive, you got to start all over. And you're talking lots of time. Uh, yep. Eric's used this software and he was on a project with me up in Montana a couple of years ago. And it's a process, but it yes. is the most structured thing you can do. And then Eric talked about taking bad footage out let's say you've got a you accidentally hit the record button or it's completely out of focus and it's just garbage it's like i don't want that with these big projects that you're working on if you don't have consecutive folders consecutive files or clips that are consecutive if one is missing they won't accept it <laughs> i don't know where that comes from my guess would be that you know, maybe in the early days, people were just cherry picking footage that they shot and they're like, oh, I think I could use that. And then they use it. That's probably where it came from. I don't know. But if I'm out shooting for someone, then obviously they get everything. The downside to that is they get to see all your crap footage, right? And, you know, maybe that was it too. Maybe people were like, I just don't want to see how bad I shot this. So I'm going to delete it so nobody has to deal with it. But, you know, you got to include it. So anyway, it gets to that drive, those two drives. And then a lot of times they'll just ask for two drives. Most of the time nowadays, it's not the three drive rule. But me being me, I just always bring a really slow, like, like uh, you know, you can go to Costco and get a five terabyte, what do they call these, um, USB 3, super slow. So while I'm out shooting that day, I'll take and make another copy on my own drive just as an ultimate backup just in case in shipping, you know, I have to ship these drives a lot of times in the UK and I'm keeping one shipping one. Once they receive that one, then I'll ship the next one. So that way they have all the copies. But ultimately I know that I have barring a major disaster. I still have one copy left. So that's what happens. Now that's like a BBC project and I'm done. I'm done with everything. Once they got the drives, you're, you're basically, you don't even have to keep it a copy for yourself or you shouldn't, or you don't, there's no reason to, unless you have unlimited budget and you just want to have a pile of drives in the closet. For my own project, I do it very similarly. Only I'll go from the SSD to, I don't have the big fancy budgets that they have for unlimited, like, kind of fast drives so i do go with the costco version but what i've been doing lately is you can go 
and I don't have to go to Costco. You can find them at Best Buy. You can find them at Amazon. It doesn't matter. There's plenty of places to find it. But I was going to an eight terabyte drive. So I have an eight terabyte USB three super slow drive. And then I have my NAS. So Brandon was referencing a network attached storage, which is a NAS. What I like about that is it allows me to put all my footage. It's 132 terabytes. I can just keep dumping footage on there, although I'm getting kind of close to filling it up now, but you can expand it so you can get an expansion bay so that you don't have to wipe off all that footage and start again or buy a whole new NAS. You can just add an expansion to it and, and grow it. So footage goes from the card to an SSD. One copy goes to the NAS and then one copy goes to a, a really slow, super slow, um, eight terabyte, but I have recently been buying 14 terabyte drives. Yep. Me too. So the more you can put on there, the better. Right. And the danger there is, you know, if one 14 terabyte drive dies, that is a whole lot of data that you're going to lose. Or if you drop it, I've dropped these before. And if you drop them pretty much they're toast. So you really got to be kind of careful and, and know that you have multiple backups. I feel like this is going all over the place and I'm kind of jumping all over, but That's just good. know you go from SSD to my NAS and then I go to the super slow eight terabyte, 14 terabyte. Then I ultimately have two copies. If there's something really good, I'll make a third copy and I'll usually put that on one of these little travel drives that require no power. It's a USB three, it's a five terabyte and I'll cherry pick those shots to put on there. I won't take everything. I'll just take the stuff that I know is really good and will be used just to have a little safety back in, in my mind. The reason I use a NAS and the reason I started with a NAS is I can actually edit from that NAS. So having that NAS connected to my computer via a 10G ethernet connection is, is doable. If you have a fast enough computer and you have that fast connection and the drives in the NAS are fast enough, I can actually edit, which is super cool because if I'm going in and trying to do a YouTube video that we're working on and I want to pull footage from three years ago, it's all there. I don't have to plug in drives and unplug drives and keep searching for stuff. So um, that if you can afford an NAS and they're pretty affordable, I mean, you can get a little two bay NAS that is what under 1500 bucks, I would say, right, Brandon, I don't know. You can look it up and just see while yeah, we're talking about yeah. The NAS is kind of cool. The key is make sure you're getting a 10 gigabyte uh, Ethernet port to access the NAS because that gives you the speed you need to actually edit from that NAS. But that's been a game changer for me. It take, it's just saves so much time. And ultimately, at the end of the day, and I've preached this for so many years, it, this is all about saving time. Time is money and time is more time is either money or time is more time in the field. So whatever you can do to make this process as painless as possible and keep everything organized and fast access, you're just saving time so you can be out there longer. So the NAS is what I'm using for that. So as far as software as Shotput Pro, which is kind of like the high end way to duplicate footage onto two identical drives and get a checksum that basically says, yeah, it's bulletproof and you've got everything. The program that Brandon mentioned was Disk Catalog. What Disk Catalog does is it'll take a drive. So if I've got my old drives, that's 14 terabyte or the eight terabyte, a lot of times I have to, I have, I don't know, 
30 of these drives. And all I have is a number on it. I guess that's important to say too. You have, I have a 9,000 series. So 9,000 series are my eight and 14 terabyte drives. So I'll know, okay, I need to go to a disk catalog that basically is inventoried every 9,000 series drive that I have. And then if I've done my job correctly, either by identifying it by place or species or camera or whatever, I can go to disk catalog, type in bear, type in dot JPEG. If I'm looking for a particular JPEG, you can do all kinds of search functions, which allows you to kind of find that footage. You can do it by date. You can do it by whatever you want to do. You can find that footage. And then that gives me a quick access. And I don't have to sit there and plug in all 30 drives to find that one bit of footage. So um, disk catalog comes in great there. And then the, the easier way to make sure you got footage that's identical is that program is called ChronoSync. And ChronoSync is basically you just identify a, a drive or a folder or whatever on one drive. And then you, and it's basically column base two. So one column is your original drive, your master drive. Your second column would be uh, the backup drive or whatever you want to call it. And then you can say, okay, I want these two identical. And then you can also do it so you can keep adding. You can do it by folder even. So you don't have to do it by the whole drive. You can just say this folder. And then one thing that's cool about that is it can go one direction. It can go from master to backup. It can go from backup to master. So you can pick and choose which direction you want it to go. Or you can say synchronize. And when you synchronize, it's just going to make them identical and transfer data both ways. The downside to that is if you really cleaned up your master drive and like Eric does and deleted a lot of stuff, but then if you have a backup that you didn't delete all that stuff on, all of a sudden that's going to get thrown back on. So you really got to kind of watch that. You can but, also schedule it too. That's a nice thing that I like. Yeah. You can do all kinds of cool so stuff. Every that, night you can have it sync. The automation part of it is super, super uh, effective and, and it, but it's just time to learn. I mean, you can spend a week just learning this, that dumb program. So it's, again, it all boils down to time, but. I have a couple of questions on those programs. So the um, ChronoSync, I feel like I was going to utilize something like that when I first started switching kind of my workflow up. Is there, um, I can't, I don't know how to ask this exactly. I feel like there was an issue with some of those programs where if like, say on your main drive, you accidentally delete a folder, would it accident then just delete that off of your backup as well? Or do you get a good summary to know that like, cause I feel like I tried to clone two drives, but I was always worried that if something was missing on one, it would just take it off of the other one. I think there are ways to maybe like have it temporarily in a folder to review, but I kind of got away from, or I got a little scared to do it that way when I first started. Yeah. If you use the synchronize, it will, yeah, it'll take everything. So it'll do like a full summary of like, we have files one through a hundred. This drive has one through 99. This drive has one through a hundred. It will then sync those two. So everything will be one through a hundred. Mm -hmm. But if you, and I forget what it's called, but there's a setting where 
if your primary drive, your master drive is pushing to a remote drive, it will just make everything on that drive look like the master. Yeah. Okay. And then it, it's it'll the direction over. thing. So yeah. you can yeah, go yeah. right to left, left to right, or synchronize. I don't know. The other the thing that you can do to used. prevent what you can do to prevent what you're talking about, Eric, is there's a little checkbox in ChronoSync mm-hmm. where you can say synchronize deletion, deletions. And so then it creates an archive folder on both drives. Mm-hmm. And that archive folder, it knows that something's been deleted. So it'll throw stuff in that archive folder. So you're never getting rid of it. So you're not freeing up space, but what just you are doing is providing it. yourself a yeah. peace of mind. And you know that that in that archive folder, it'll be there, but and you never have to access that unless you're like at your wits end and you're like, I had this and right. I accidentally deleted it, but I know it was on this drive. And then I synced it or synchronized, synced it. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it. there are, I guess to answer your question is there are, ways to prevent what yeah, you were yeah. worried about. I don't remember what program I used or what I was first trying to use, but I just remembered that being a, a thing. The um, other program that you talked about with the um, disk management, when you're talking about searching by like keyword bear or .jpg, does it like catalog the actual file names or are you putting in keywords to then search like the tags that Brandon's talking about to be able to search bear. Is that something that you inputted at what, or at what point did you put that on there when you were cataloging the drives? See what's going to be cool in the future is AI is going to be amazing when it comes, when it works its way into this software, because a lot of that'll be AI driven right now. And I think what Brandon's referring to and what I'm referring to are probably two different things because I don't do as much with keywords and that sort of thing. I think he's doing that more in the Mac atmosphere. Yeah, in the Mac folder. And then Finder. Finder structure, yeah, yeah. Finder, he's doing that. But I would suspect, and I've never checked it, but on Disk Catalog, I bet you you can do that. Now, what you see on Disk Catalog, so let's say, so when you first start up Disk Catalog, let's say you have 10 drives and you know you've got all your footage on these 10 drives, but you're like, oh, did I shoot that in 2021 or 2023? Well, when you first set up this catalog, you plug in each drive one at a time and you catalog that drive. You click this little button that just says scan this drive. And what it provides you with is a, is a whole folder structure. You can't drill down and actually see the image. Well, you can, but then you're going to use, I tried that initially, but I have so much data that it became so slow that it didn't, it wasn't effective. So I don't have it looking at the image. I can't really see the, footage or the still image or whatever, but I can see file names and I see the whole folder structure. Mm-hmm. So having that info, but you have to just originally plug in your drive, scan it, eject that drive, plug in the next drive, scan it, eject that drive. You just do that through your whole process of all your drives. And then forever you have this disk catalog or this inventory of every one of your drives based on the folder structure. And then that keeps everything organized. And like I said, you can't see the image, but you can at least get to a file name. And then then it's a combination of using yeah. that with Finder and all this other stuff to go find that, I see. that particular image. And I it, it's a daily process. I use that stuff daily, yeah. when I'm, especially when I'm editing, because I'll, I'll remember a shot. And I, yeah. I know I shot it on this camera, and I probably shot it on similar, you know, this date range. And at least gets me close it get, and narrows it down. Brandon, maybe you can just talk about real quickly is how you 
use the finder and the keywords in that. Yeah. So within, for those that don't have Macs, you can create keywords. It's just metadata. So within your, if you're on a PC, you could just create metadata behind it. And you just do that by going into the information or the properties on the Mac, you call, you go into the get info and you can create, uh, colored tags. You can create names. And so I'll just create, um, so each one of my species, for example, has a color and then it just has a tag behind it. And so within the Mac, as long as it's connected, I can just click that. Um, it's like a green bear, right? green dot would then show up on everything that I've keyworded for bears. It's, it works sometimes like some of the problem that I'm running into now is that with the amount of work that I've been doing for like client stuff, like I filled up two fourteen terabytes last year. And so the problem that I'm running into is I still remember everything by date, right? Because I have all my paperwork and contracts and it's by client or whatever it is. So I always know that it's out there, but my disk catalog, because everything ends up at a NAS, the NAS is all ranked by year. So like if you log into my NAS, you'll see um, my company and then you'll see the NAS out there and it'll have everything from 2023 till now. And it's that folder structure of year, month, day. And the problem that I'm having from a syncing standpoint is that my backups are all on hard drives that are separated. And so I have portions of work that are on backup drives that I then have to go, oh, was the beginning of 23 on drive one or two or three? And like you generally know, okay, the beginning of the year was one, but like, where's July last year? And so the disk catalog is set up like, I think mine's a 1000 series instead of 9,000. So, so like mine's 1004 is where I'm at now. Well, actually here I have a drive that you can see. So like I just, and this was Michael's idea. I took the, I stole, totally stole this idea from him, but you just put it out there and it's labeled by the series number and then the size. Well, my NAS is 128 terabytes. It's like, this is a 14 terabyte drive. So the 14 terabytes is disk cataloged something else than the folder structure that's on there. And so I think what I'm gonna have to do, which is gonna be terrible because it's gonna take days, is I'm gonna have to go out to my NAS. I'm gonna have to break down my folder structure for what's on my backup drives, being that when you mm -hmm. click into my company, yeah. it's gonna be <clears throat> that 1002-14TB, then all the client work or then whatever the, is yeah, in there. Yeah. And, and so that's where I'm gonna have to go. And so it's, for most people, they're not going to have to do that, right? Like if you're just taking images, I'll challenge you to fill up a 14 terabyte drive. Like it's just yeah. unlikely, right? And so like my folder structure for images, like I have backups of backups, right? So like when it goes into, I use Lightroom Creative Cloud. I don't use the classic for my own work. When it goes in there, I'll, I'll take all my images and I'll put it in that folder of photos and that'll be the raws and it's just labeled a raw. Then I'll go through and edit and I call as I edit. I don't save, if I don't like something, it's gone. Like as far as I know, it never happened because it, as soon as I hit delete, it's gone. Now in the back of my head, I'm like, maybe I have some more, like, do I need 
5,000 shots of an eagle, right? Like yes. I have my son. <laughs> yeah, you do. And I still have them. It's just in that raw folder. But like as far as Lightroom, it's not there. And then I'll take all those. I'll edit those. I'll export those as small JPEGs. So very small size that I can then archive on my Synology NAS. So I have an image uh, file name. Then I'll take the full res versions and throw that out there. Now we have large and small JPEGs. If I ever want to print something, it's super easy. And then I'll also make another folder of DNGs. And the DNGs are my digital negative of the edited images. And so I have lots. If you're a still shooter, like you can back up a ton of stuff. And I looked it up, a Synology 720, which is a two-bay system with 20 terabytes is $949. So, I mean, you can have some success with backing that up. Now, there's some cool stuff that like you can connect to your NAS outside of your house if it's set up properly and you can access it from your phone so you can back up images and stuff like that. The downside to that, that I've had, when you edit off of a NAS, you need to be connected to your NAS via a 10 gigabit ethernet connection. So if I pick up my laptop and I'm editing a video and I want to edit on the road, I got to go through this whole thing of exporting everything to a drive, exporting the project, relinking everything. And it's a total pain in the butt. So like everyone's workflow is going to be different. If you're not sitting in a studio editing for the majority of your time, I don't know if you'd want to edit off a NAS. Like an SSD is probably going to be a better solution. It's smaller. It's faster. It's just, I don't know. So yeah, just test out all of it. Because what do you edit off of, Eric? Um, I'm more on the SSD route. Yeah, you so know, you're I off SSD. Yeah. Of those. I have a... Um, I don't have a NAS. I have just like a hard drive bay that runs RAID software. So I just have okay. a four bay um, drive that just like a maybe RAID. Like 24 terabytes. Yeah. And I just run RAID with four. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they are. I guess they're eight terabyte drives. So that gives me the 24 mm-hmm. with the redundancy. Yeah. And that's full now. So I got to upgrade, but I don't want to spend two grand on, on the hard drive, a yeah. big NAS yet. But. Yeah. Right. So I, cause that too. And I'm also like, I jump in the van and take off for the weekend. I take, you know, I have a drive that I can grab and take with me to kind of work off of. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing. Okay. Here's a question, fellas. Hold on. I got two things. Is the question generic or is it specific to something? Uh, I was going to ask when we were going to, when do you delete footage off your memory card, but hit, hit us with yours first before I, we move on to that. Okay, so just two things. You had mentioned color coding stuff. So you can go into a file, right click on a on a file and add a color identifier. Correct. You said you do it for species. What I do that for is if any footage, a still or a footage has a green dot, that is a select. So I know that if anything in my library has a green dot, it's it's made my approval, whether it's awesome or not, who knows. But for me, it's, it's, I know I'll, I would use it in an edit. And then I use the other colors. So Brandon, you are orange. So if I have you on camera in any sort of way, it gets orange. So that's that I discriminatory. Know that... <laughs> well, Eric is yellow. So I know that Eric is yellow and I'm gray. So I know that if I'm looking for my footage, if I find a gray dot, it's me. So that's what I'm trying to do with the color thing. The other thing I wanted to add is with this catalog, 
So I have a whole set of drives in Alaska. I have drives here in Colorado. I have drives that travel with me in the van. I create disc catalogs for whatever is with me at the time. So I'll have a van disc catalog, and I know that every drive I have in that van is on that. And that way I'm not wasting time looking for footage that is going to be on a drive that's sitting in Colorado, and I'm not going to get it anyway. So why look? So the cool thing about having disc catalog, you can create an unlimited amount of disc catalogs, and it can be specific to your location or travel or any of that sort of stuff. And it just speeds it up. You're going to spend a little bit of time <clears throat> setting that disc catalog up. But in the long run, if, if you're going to be on the road for a month, it's kind of nice to have a catalog of your drives and you don't have to, you know, if you have more than one drive, it just makes it so much easier to find stuff. You have more catalogs than people have hard drives. <laughs> probably so yeah it's ridiculous i got so many you know speaking <laughs> of hard drives no one has gotten the number of terabytes that you have of storage in your primary a drives no one's no, got it you yet. know what people did get pretty close they I got pretty shocked. close i was shocked how people got but i mean you can kind of do the number in your head and it's easier to guess but i was shocked i didn't think it they would get even close but they did yeah which is kind of cool um and then i had one other thing but i forgot it so whatever um, I have go one question ahead and here. Okay, before go. we talk about deleting, this kind of ties into it. So we talked about ShopPut Pro or ShopPut, whatever, the um, program that we've used during the production level stuff. And I guess one thing that I never did, and I really honestly don't do still, all my stuff is just shooting personal. Maybe I'd be more worried about it if I had like an absolute insane viral moment, you know, backing the footage up. It's so preciously. But when we did that, you're copying the entire contents of the card, all those little subfolders and structures, not just like the clip names. Do you guys on your own personal stuff do the whole card or just the files? Or have you seen why do productions want it all? I don't have the answer to that question, but I don't know any thoughts or feelings on that. I think it goes back to what I said earlier. I think they just want everything that's on the drive. So for example, red will give you a log file and then it'll give you, uh, which is just a text file. And then it gives you your, a folder. And then it gives you all the clips within that folder. And with red, they're all individual folders. So yeah, I take everything. I've never used that log files. I have no <laughs> idea even what it does. But then the other thing with GoPro, with GoPro, I have it set up to record a secondary wave file because a lot of times I'll just use the audio from a GoPro and I don't want to mess with the video, but it's the same file name. It's just a .wav as opposed to a .mp4. So with GoPro, you'll get the video file, which is a .mp4. You get, I think the other file that they give you preview. is a THX or something. Yeah. I don't know what it is. And then it'll also give you the wave file. So I do take everything. It clutters stuff up. It doesn't make it because it would be nice just to say, I just want the video footage and pull that in. But I do take everything. But that's all come from the production level stuff because that's yeah. what they require. And then I just kind of assume that. But back in the day before I was doing too much of the production stuff, I just would take the video files or the still files mm -hmm. and that's it. Yeah, because the Sony cards create, I mean, there's like eight files, especially if you have, if you did have stills and video on one card, it creates like two separate folders. And then each of those have substructures and. Yeah. Oh, so I only take the 
clips. So like if I the clips am folder. shooting video, I only take mm-hmm. the the main video file and then the XML. I'm not taking yeah. the thumbnail tab or oh, any of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to generate my own thumbnails. Um, mm-hmm. But in Canon, it's the same thing. It's got it's it doesn't it isn't as drastic as Sony. <laughs> Sony gives you like I don't know, I there's know. six or seven things in there, and you got to drill down to find the footage. And it's but not. Canon, it doesn't make it any sense. A, no, it doesn't. Well, <laughs> to them, it does. To somebody somewhere in Japan, Some it makes engineer. a lot of sense. Some software yeah. engineer, it does. Yeah, exactly. But for us, but with Canon, it's I think it's just a DCIM, and then maybe one other full one other file of some sort, and then you can get to it. So I I still with that I take everything. I don't know if it'd come in handy somewhere down the road. With the text files, you're not chewing up memory. It's just yeah, clutter. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think I think it was an appendage of where it would go on to like video software and it would tell the software what oh. that was. But Some I think, proprietary software. But now it's just, I think editing software is so good nowadays that I think it's kind of just an appendage that's followed it around. I'm sure the there's something The thing that sucks somewhere. about your guys' FX6s is it gives you, what is it, a M or a F- MVF. MX, MVF, which you can't even, like a lot of times in a Mac you can just, click on the space bar and view a file just to see if you're in the ballpark yeah. of finding a particular yep. clip. Red with and your guys, you actually have to put it in. And then with red, you have to use a, a red proprietary program called red Cine X, which is free and anybody can get it, but you have to have that to actually quickly view what, what is on. Although nowadays I think I can click on a video file and it'll give me a freeze frame just in. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah. You can't yeah, do that so, with the FX6. I use Catalyst Browse to just look through my clips, and that's the Sony equivalent of Red Cine X. I'm, I wonder if Catalyst, now that I say that, I wonder if that Catalyst Browse is using those XMLs because it will, if you want to stabilize in Catalyst Browse, it'll use the gyro data from inter, uh, the camera internals and actually stabilize it better than if you did like a warp sta- stabilizer in uh, Premiere or a stabilization perspective in uh, Resolve. So I wonder if it, that's what it's using now that we talk about that. Yeah, I think you're right because Red has that too. It'll have that yeah. gyro information. And then so that would be one important thing. Yeah. I think we're talking over everybody's heads right now <laughs> way more than right. than we need to. But uh, it's just interesting to know that it's there. And I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that would be interested. But there's a lot of you that have shut us off. They don't even know that we're talking about shutting <laughs> us off because they've left long ago. But <laughs> But it's just... Uh, cool to know and just for me it's cool to hear how people are using stuff so um we're like an hour and 30 minutes into this now brandon let's do your last question and then uh i actually got two so one is a comment one's a question so my first comment is that on a lot of these cameras you can name the footage so i just name all my footage after the camera that it is so it's like my oh. FX3 is FX3. My FX6 mm-hmm. is FX6. And that way I have a file name that has the camera in it as well. So check your camera. Go do that. On the still side, you can set it up so that it files by date structure or you can change the name to a date structure. Just check out your camera. This is one of those like go get comfortable with your camera. The more you know, the better you're going to be in the field. Oh, um, can I throw in one thing with that? Yeah. Because that is really important. Well, like on our reds, it's super important. That's super important, but let's just go back to stills. So when I was shooting stills a lot and when I was doing a lot of corporate jobs, I shot golf for a long time and we would shoot for a week. I would go in 
like every morning and every afternoon, I would change the file naming convention in the camera because sometimes I would shoot enough to go all the way through the whole number structure. Yep. And then it won't and copy. Then, then the problem is, is it won't copy or it copies over it or you have dual file names yep. and then you start looking for a file and it's a same name, but you got 14 files. That they're all different images, but they're all, you know, it's all the same name. And you always run the risk of copying over that file if you're not really paying attention on any one day. So I got in the habit of just every morning. So from 20 minutes before sunrise, when we started shooting to noon to lunch, I would have one file convention and then I would switch it over in the evening or afternoon through evening. And I just would, and I was just doing it at random, but I knew what cameras are. It really didn't matter for camera, what the camera was. It just mattered that I just had, and I, and there was sometimes I would put, GLF to say golf, mm -hmm. but if I'm doing seven days of a golf shoot and I'm changing every morning and every afternoon, there's only so many GLF, right. GLF one, GLF two. And I didn't, do, I would just go QPST, right. MZWL, right. whatever. I would just pick random things and right. hopefully I never chose the same thing. So anymore, sorry. you can automate that on mine. So like mine automates per day. So I don't have to remember that as a check which is super awesome because once you get, I mean, the file names are four numbers. So if you see 10,000 images, you're going to overwrite something. Yep. So, uh, so and then the, the question is, when do you gents delete the memory card? Cause I'll tell you what I do. And it, it's like, it's like fearful and anxious and anxiety. Oh, totally. So I just don't delete cards until I absolutely have to. And then I panic and I question life <laughs> and it's just like a whole disaster. Right. But I'll be like, what I should do is I know it's in three places, format the card, but like maybe there's a client work on there. Right. And I haven't delivered the client work. I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not deleting it. And then next thing you know, I'd go do more client work. And so then next thing you know, there's four different projects on this card. And I'm like, we're just going to have to frame it. It's not going anywhere. And then you get to the point where you're in the field and you're like, Oh no, I got 20 minutes left. And then I got 15 minutes left and I got five minutes left. What do I do? And so then you're like trying to delete them. And so when do you delete your cards? Go ahead. Eric. I mean, I'm going to say I don't have clients, <laughs> so I haven't been that terrified. I can imagine that that level goes up. I also don't have enough money for more than two Sony freaking CF Express Type A cards, so I pretty yeah. much have to format every day for that okay. sake. Um, yeah, I usually, if I'm in the van or whatever, download everything to an SSD, duplicate it, and oftentimes I'll even just dump a, a third one onto the actual computer um, just to have the fast working copy while I'm out there. And then once I've created that, been where I put all the files from that day and went through my dailies and I know that okay everything I shot today is here that's usually then I'll go put the card in or you know like sticker format on the camera somewhere right. like the power button so that in the morning I, I can go ahead and format it but 
Yeah, I usually kind of out of necessity have to do it <laughs> before the next day to have footage. I just, so I, I need to I'm be making myself and brave. do it every day, getting through all the footage from that day just so that I'm ready to go the next morning. That's kind of what I've done. So I got an interesting little story. Um, to answer your question, I'm a complete yard sale. Okay. Sometimes I do it. So you're like sometimes me. I don't. Okay. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know. And yeah, you're deleting stuff on the field, off right. of the camera. Right. And if it's big chunks of video, you're going to gain a lot of space really fast. But if it's stills, you're deleting a ton of stills to get, right. especially with today's cameras. That being said, when we're out on a production and Doug We've all talked about Doug Gardner, and if you've listened to Wild and Exposed or you've listened to this podcast, we've referred to Doug quite a bit. Doug has a rule that you have gaffer tape, and it's usually green or yellow, something really bright gaffer tape, and you write on the tape format. And then whoever's dumping the footage puts that tape on the card that says format. And then he puts one on his monitor. So at the start of the day, he remembers that he has to look through that tape to actually start shooting. And if it says format, before he starts shooting anything, he has to format that card. Because here's the deal. If you, going with what I said earlier, they don't allow you to delete anything. So let's right. say you forgot to format and you start shooting again. You can't, now they're going to have two copies they're and they're going to think you're a real tool and they're probably never <laughs> going to hire you back because now they've got all this data that some poor editor is having to go through 17 times. They're like, I've seen this already. So his whole process and what I've adopted and Eric, Eric was with us when we were doing this too. Yeah. You, once you're done downloading your card and you know, you've got it in plenty of places, the best thing to do is if you don't have the camera, cause that's the other thing is, do you want to take the timer? I'm not going to format on the computer because I don't want to mess up the file right. structure. I want the camera to do it. Do you want to grab your camera every time you've downloaded a card with red, especially it's two minutes or 45 seconds to start it up. And then I don't do, I just wait till I go out again. Yeah. But, um, just put tape on it, say format, and then, you know, okay, that's a little peace of mind. I think that's probably the best habit you could get into. Mm -hmm and just know that okay and I it's can, handy too if you're shooting downloading you know three or four different cameras and cards at least every card that you've already done you know you can identify if they're all sitting out on your counter or something you know which ones you've done um and then yeah as soon as i put it in the camera i would put that sticker on the camera itself somewhere like you said the screen or power button or something so you can't get away get past it without having to do it See, that scares me though. And the reason it scares me is that Michael and I missed one file when we were doing something. We were doing one of these videos and I can't remember which one. And we copied everything for that day. But one, and it got through both of us. So I, it, it's like that experience just so like traumatized me. Those cards, yeah. And so I don't know. But there goes why you want to just take everything off the card and not try to cherry pick, right? Totally. So I think you, you gotta be very, if this is your business, you have to be completely structured. If this is your hobby, if this is your just fun stuff, I think you still want, I mean, you don't want that one shot or that one viral video or that one thing to get away from you. Just copy it all and be done with it and use the tape. And I you all the, need yeah. to go buy a roll of 
fluorescent yellow gaffer tape or fluorescent <laughs> green or fluorescent orange and yep. carry a Sharpie and write format and do that. And I have those little format stickers everywhere. <clears throat> you do. It's not yes, a sticker, just a piece of tape. I have them everywhere because it does help you try to remember and have that reduce the anxiety and have the confidence to, to do it. Yeah. I think the format. big thing is just stay consistent with your process because you don't want to change your process midway and then change it again because you just got footage or photos everywhere so yeah just be consistent to whatever you you put in place it's um it's it's just a deal that's why we did this podcast because everybody's different i mean we all work together and we're all different right. so yep. it's uh i like a lot of the things you guys do and i don't do it that way i've tried to start but then i'm like i'm too set in my ways and then i go back and then it's a <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to do Michael Yardsell Morrow. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Well, yeah, hopefully you all got something from that. Comment below, ask questions. We'll try and answer them on the next podcast. Well, we'll answer them on episode 12. We have a guest for number 11, but we'll try and get those answered. So, yeah, ask away down below and call us out. Tell us what we're doing wrong love those and go watch the youtube video with the three ways to use a gopro because that one has been one of those ones that we were super excited about maybe it'll fall flat i don't know but the cool thing is is there is some really cool footage on it it's kind of fun to see some of the footage that you can get with those cameras what's your favorite michael the favorite the favorite shot yeah oh man i don't know that i have a favorite I think it's the dipper. I think it's the dipper underwater because that took me so long to get. And the one there, there were three or four underwater dipper shots, but there's one that's actually, and it's just something you're not going to see unless you did it. Mm -hmm. You know, the walk bys are cool, but you could actually have that happen and you see with your own eyeballs. The camera stuff, camera trap stuff is cool because it's happening when you're not there. So that's kind of cool too. But I think that underwater dipper shot is probably, probably my favorite yeah what's your favorite probably that bear oh because it's a, it was a shock value right it's like well and it's oh just, my gosh we got a bear it was the predator <laughs> that we finally got even though i wasn't i had no <laughs> i didn't do anything for it but i'm gonna i'm gonna take credit for it yeah uh the one thing that actually i've talked about this a couple of times and eric and i are in those woods every day in the fall and you know those bears are there you never ever see them. We'll see them off in a distance, but we'll never see them in the woods. And you know that they're there. So they are purposely staying away from us. They can hear us and know we're there. So I think they just, I mean, that it's, it, it's kind of cool, right? Cause you know, you're coexisting out there with bears, but they're not giving you <clears throat> any problems. Oh, if I was a moose, that's a code Brown though. Like it is just <laughs> like, <laughs> well, yeah, that would kind well, of, I tell you what, I've, to the story because we we were realizing like i think that day we pieced it back together that we saw nothing going on i mean the, it was so quiet and then I th we realized oh well yeah this bear has disrupted everything everything's gone you know we would have just that sat and pondered what's happening but it was nice to at least piece that <laughs> part together well that was the reason that whole day was a wash because something was happening you know where we weren't weren't able to see but yeah, yeah, the Dipper, exactly. I think, would probably be my favorite. I got a little bit of the Dipper footage, too, when we first started doing that. Yeah, that was so cool just to see the little legs going by underwater. Uh, 
Well, yeah, I mean, I think we can improve upon it for sure. I think yeah. there's even cooler shots to get, and it might be cool to use an actual underwater housing for a DSLR, which I want to try this year and maybe half in and half out in certain places, which would be really cool. But um, it's – and that's what keeps you going, right? It's just you can always make it better. You can always get that next shot. So, Dang it. You know, you just reminded me of I didn't put a link to the underwater housing in the description. I'll add it after this. We'll do that. All right. All right, y'all. Thanks for watching another episode of the Truthful Legend Podcast, and uh, we will see you next week with the guests.